today. We begin a 12-week journey rediscovering and re-equipping ourselves to be people of prayer. I was thinking about the story of the uh, lifelong atheist who was hiking through the woods and suddenly heard a rustling and there was a seven-foot grizzly bear. He begins running down the path, but the grizzly bear was faster than he was and he trips on a root, falls flat on his face, and just as he rolls over, the grizzly bear is right on top of him. The atheist cries out, Oh my God! The scene freezes. The clouds open. A light appears. And a voice says to him, Now you want to call on me? The atheist said, Well, I suppose that's a little too much to ask, but could I ask one favor? Could you make that bear a Christian? The cloud closes. The scene reanimates. And the bear sitting on top of him says, For this meal we're about to receive, we give thanks, O Lord. (laughs) Whether we like to admit it or not, a lot of us in our prayer life are more like that atheist than we ought to be. Prayer is a thing of last resort. We go along through our life, and then when we've tried everything else, we go, oh yeah, there's prayer. We talk a lot about prayer at the journey here. In the city of Worcester, there's a powerful prayer movement taking place. I have a great privilege of once a month praying with various people in the mayor's office of the city of Worcester. There's this great sense that God is at work and preparing to do something, but yet the simple reality is for the vast majority of Christians in the city, and I'm just going to be quite honest, the vast majority of you, there's very little buy-in to that. I suspect that prayer is something that we value, we know is important, we go to it when we need it, but the fact is we are not truly a people of prayer. We believe God is calling us to a new level of entering into his presence together. I believe that God's calling you, each of you individually, wherever you are in your prayer life, into a deeper experience of his presence and his work in your life through prayer. George Barna, in a study several years ago, looking at Christians and their spiritual disciplines, found out that most Christians don't pray privately. We pray in formal settings, but we don't really pray privately. And what that says is that there's a real disconnect. If, in fact, the gospel is about God reconciling us to himself in Christ, the relationship for which we were intended when we were first created, intimacy with the Father, made possible once again because of Jesus Christ. If, in fact, that was the chief end of the gospel, prayer is the conduit of that relationship. And if you fit into that demographic that Barna discovered in his research, your whole Christian experience is falling short of its ultimate purpose, which is this passion and intimacy with the Father, at the heart of which is a life of prayer. And so that's what we want to look at. If we were to go anywhere to begin our journey, it's Jesus' own teaching on prayer. And today we're going to be in in Luke chapter 11. I'd like to encourage you to turn there with me. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, 
as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. (coughs) 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 Thank you. These are coming. Are there others who will come at this time? (laughs) Thank you. I think Lou and I are both uh, horse for the same reasons. Certain football game. (laughs) If the way that game went doesn't motivate some of you to get your prayer life together, nothing does. Verse 5, then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In this telling, we understand how the teaching of the Lord's Prayer first came to the disciples. And because it appears in various forms throughout the Gospels, it's fair to assume that it was a part of Christ's normal teaching. But Luke records how the first teaching came about. The apostles were watching Jesus. The Scripture says He often went off to pray. And at some point after watching Jesus time and time again go off to be with the Lord, they finally reached a point where they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? The word teach in Greek is in the imperative mood. It's urgent, demanding. Lord, teach us right now to pray. Two questions come to mind for me. First is, why so urgent? Why so urgent in their request? After all, these were Hebrew men. The people of God, a group of men from the time of their youth, were raised in a rich tradition of prayer. These were the people that had the direct line to Jehovah. Why so urgent? Now the second question that comes to mind is, what's there to learn? (laughs) What's so hard? We all pray when we get desperate enough, don't we? And it tends to just happen, right? If I was going to the customer service desk of a local department store, I wouldn't read up on how to do it beforehand. I'd just show my need, and they'd they'd know how to take care of it. If I was going to a doctor, I'd just go with my need and let the doctor heal me. Even if I went to a fast food restaurant, I wouldn't study up in advance. I'd show up, I'd read the menu, I'd put my order in, and they'd provide for me what? is there to learn. What's the big deal? Think about this. Somehow these 
Jewish men raised in the greatest tradition of prayer in history saw in Jesus something about how he went about praying that they realized that they didn't know the first thing about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray and teach us right now. We're ready and we're willing. And it's out of that sense of urgency that Jesus gives not only those disciples, but you and me today, this beautiful prayer that we're going to spend the next eight weeks out of 12 exploring and coming to understand what it was that Jesus wanted to impart to us. Lord, teach us to pray. I'm wondering if you take the insert out, the notes for today, you'll see an opening section that says, how would you rate your prayer life? Would you just take a minute and consider the five possibilities? The best possibility is dynamic. I'm really into it. Or maybe average, it's hit or miss. Maybe you'd admit that you struggle. I want to, but. Or maybe even more honestly, you'd say it's rare. I don't pray much. Maybe for some of you, it's never. (laughs) Prayer? Just take a minute and evaluate where you are with that. My guess is that all of us, or at least the vast majority of us, would admit there's some room for growth, that in some ways we're dissatisfied with our prayer life. No matter how important we think it is, we just really find that we can't get on our knees. And so I just want to take a little time and list eight things that I think keep most of us off our knees. Eight things. They all start with D, and the first one is previous disappointments. Previous disappointments. I'm sure in a room this size, you have those here who have reached to God during really important, significant times in their life, and God somehow didn't meet up to that expectation. And you're not willing to be disappointed again. Or you've just given up on the whole notion of it. Because sometimes it just seems pointless, at least based on what we're expecting God to do. A second thing that keeps us off our knees is distractions. Far too many of them. Let's admit it, prayer is, by and large, an experience that we have to go through by faith, believing that we're accomplishing some good. Not as easy as balancing the checkbook or anything else on your to-do list. If it's something that's tangible that you can actually do, see the result and knock it off your list, that's what you're going to go to first. Or a relationship with someone who has flesh and blood, where you can sit, you can touch, you can experience affection, verbal interaction. Much easier to feel something tangible when it's physical a hobby, a project, just the urgencies of life. They pull at us and we're drawn to them. Because to pray, well, that's something that I I just don't always feel anything doing. There's no tangible experience in it for me. A third area is lack of discipline. We know we ought to do it, but we just can't develop the spiritual cadence or habits in our life that makes prayer something that we think to go to as part of our common experience. 
I think a fourth reason why we don't get on our knees is our attitude of self-dependence. Especially in America. We take pride in this whole, I'm a self-made man or a self-made woman. We will insist on doing it ourselves and only reach up to God when we've run through every other possible resource. We are too dependent on ourselves. In fact, self-ism is the original sin. Self-centeredness, self-satisfaction, self-worship, self-dependence. A fifth area is some form of disobedience in your life. An area that you know, if you're going to come to God, that's going to be something He's going to want to deal with, right? It's like the friend that you avoid because you know they found out something about you. We do that with God. Some of you have an area of disobedience in your life, and you've been trying to compartmentalize your relationship with God from the rest of your life, as though the disobedience can be set over here and I can walk with God over here. And I guarantee you, you have absolutely no prayer life. This is the verse we come to quite often, Isaiah 59.2, which was said to the children of God, your sins have put a separation between you and me. Your iniquities caused me to turn my face and I do not hear. That doesn't speak about prayer. I don't know what does. The area of disobedience. Six, we struggle with doubt. We struggle with unbelief. You know, most of us are a mixture of faith and doubt. All of us have an imperfect faith. God does not respond to our faith based on the strength of it, but based on the fact that we put what faith we have in Him. Like the father of the demoniac son, who when he asked Christ to heal his son, he said, anything's possible if you have faith. And he cried out in frustration, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Christ healed his son based on that confession. There was faith, but there was doubt. That's us. And I think there's a part of us that is afraid to go to God with the most meaningful and the most significant areas of our life because we're afraid if he doesn't answer all of our doubts will be confirmed so we'd rather keep it in the theoretical we'd rather find meaning in the spiritual experiences and the ideas of the bible and how they affect our life but we don't get on our knees we don't ask god to step in and do the miraculous because we're afraid we're afraid underneath we'll find out just like the Wizard of Oz, he's not a very good wizard. Just a good man. Another area is that we just haven't been discipled well. There was an interesting study at a John Piper's ministry, Desiring God ministry. They had a pastor's conference, and they surveyed the pastors and asked them to speak about their spiritual disciplines. And they were startled to find out that the vast majority of pastors do not have a private prayer life. Think about that. One pastor wrote, I can't remember a single supernatural answer to prayer for the past 30 years. Now, if our spiritual leaders are struggling with the idea of prayer, then it, it follows that we have not done a very good job equipping our flocks, equipping our congregations to pray. And so we're left to try to figure it out by trial and error. And then the final uh, reason why a lot of us don't pray is because we don't give a hoot. 
Yeah, there's a D word that uh, matches the uh, alliteration, but I can't say it from the pulpit. But you're welcome to write it into your notes. <laughs> Push comes to shove, we just don't care enough. It's not important enough for us to have that intimate connection with God. I, I think if you look at those eight things, wouldn't you say that those keep you from prayer? They certainly are things that I struggle with that keep me from prayer. We need to get past those. Entering into what we're calling the Jesus school of prayer. Learning from the master himself. You know, we call this prayer the Lord's prayer. But you know it's not, right? It's our prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. So many verses in the Bible speak about prayer that if we wanted to, we could just pick and choose different passages of Scripture and create a prayer construct, our own concept of prayer. And there's a lot of people out there that will pick different verses and say, do these things, you'll succeed at prayer. Let me give you a, a, a selection of, of verses. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. John 16, 24. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person avails much. Mark 11.24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So now, if I wanted to just pull those verses out, I could create the following prayer construct. This could be my idea of successful prayer. One, be a really good person. The prayer of a righteous person avails. Second, Ask God. Third, believe really hard. Fourth, end your prayer with the words in Jesus' name. And five, you get what you want. You'll find all sorts of constructs about prayer by people going to different passages of Scripture and threading it together. How do we find a grounding place that's the foundation for all of it. Well, we go to the teaching of Jesus Himself, which is why we're going to be in the Lord's Prayer together. And what we're going to learn when we come to the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus was not so concerned as we've turned the Lord's Prayer into in teaching us what to say. What He really wanted to do was to teach us what prayer is. We make it about how to pray in order to get what I want. Jesus wants us to understand what prayer is. And if we don't get that right, then we'll never really be effective in our prayer. My very first car was a Chevy Vega. Anybody remember the Vega? I'll tell you how sporty mine was. It was a white station wagon. We went to a, a used car lot, and I found it online someplace. My dad came with me in the paper. <laughs> I found it in the paper. <laughs> I'm so glad I have my family here to make me have integrity in my stories. It was $320. We went and looked at it. Body was in pretty good shape. My dad is not a mechanic. It seemed all right. We drove it. It was a standard. My dad knew how to drive a standard, so he taught me how to drive the car. We took it home, and I wanted to turn it into a sports car. I am not kidding. I had a friend that had an auto parts ministry, 
And I drove down to his place in Pennsylvania and I painted my Vega station wagon metallic gold. I found this psychedelic green carpet. This was the 70s. And I put it in. That was my way of souping up my Vega wagon. Two weeks later, it starts blowing smoke. The engine needed to be completely overhauled. Two weeks after that, I'm pulling into the church where I'm a youth pastor, and there's this little bump to get up into the driveway. And as I hit that bump, the rear axle falls off the car. I drive under the parking lot with the rear axle and wheels behind me. That's a true story. You see, my dad and I knew how to drive cars. Otherwise, we didn't know anything about cars. By the way, that extends into my second car. I bought a Celica GT 1974 liftback. Oh, that was a car. About six months into that, I start hearing this click, 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 click. I pulled into a mechanic, and he said, you know, you don't have a stitch of oil in this thing. I said, well, uh, where would that go if I was going to put some into it? A lot of us. That's how we approach prayer. We see prayer as a means, as a vehicle to getting somewhere in our lives. And all we want to do is to get in and learn how to drive it. We didn't know any better. We didn't know that we should lift the hood of that Vega or look underneath the Vega and just check for rust. We didn't know that. Now, in relation to prayer, as we come to this Lord's Prayer, this is what I want you to think about. When it comes to teaching us about prayer, Jesus is not taking us to driving school. He's taking us to mechanics school. Does that make sense to you? I'm not interested in just giving you some tricks and some tools to get your way with God. What I want to do with you is to use this incredible gift that Christ gave us, this prayer and the peripheral teaching, his own commentary on the prayer, and to help us understand what prayer is. We need this. We need to understand this if we're ever going to be effective. Prayer, like faith, is God's gift to us. It's not something we invent or figure out on our own. Praise God when the disciples said urgently, teach us now. Christ answered immediately. And we can learn from that. And so my only thing as we wrap up here, we're going to close in a word of prayer is to give you what I think is the first and best prayer towards a life of dynamic prayer. And we're going to say this together and open ourselves up to this journey. The first and best prayer towards a life of dramatic prayer. What do you think it is? It's simple. Lord, teach us to pray. Can we commit to that together? Can we ask God to take us into a school to help us really understand what this gift is? And then when we enter into prayer with the Father, not only are we transformed, but our city and our world is transformed for Jesus Christ. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just a glimpse this morning, just a glimpse at this incredible teaching that we're going to have the privilege of studying in depth in the weeks to come. And we cry out like the disciples, teach us, and teach us now. Father, I pray for that same sense of urgency in our spirits, that we will not be complacent, held captive by the things that keep us off our knees, but just like the disciples, we would realize that no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, the fact is 
We don't know the first thing about prayer. And so teach us, teach us now to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.